0: Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for saving us. We need it. We are, we are sinners. Um, God, I pray that when we're in the midst of our sin, that we would not hide from you, that we would run to you in repentance, knowing that the blood of Jesus has covered us. And God, I pray that we would own up to our sin and confess it to you and to our friends. Lord, be with, be with Kevin today as he teaches us and help us to hear what you want us to hear today, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.
1: Good morning. Am I on, Josh? Yeah? Can you guys hear me? We good? Okay, well, welcome to Alathia. Appreciate you guys being here. Um, If this is your first Sunday, uh, my name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Forgive me this morning if you hear strange noises coming through the microphone. Uh, My kid started school last week, and um, he picked up every germ in the school and brought them home. Uh, I think he actually made some other people sick in the church, too, so uh, Gideon apologizes to you guys. Um, he didn't know any better. Uh, so we're, we're all still battling that. So if you hear like, you know, just say, ew, and move on. I apologize ahead of time. Um, but a couple quick announcements. We want, we want you guys to get plugged in. We know that the first week of classes just started, so I hope that went well for you guys. Some of you guys have just moved to Gainesville. Some of you guys are trying to find a church home here. Uh, we would love to be that for you. Uh, a couple quick announcements. Brent, if you want to throw those up there. So community groups start this week. Yeah, there we go. Woohoo. Yeah. At 6.30 p.m., they will be here. Uh, we will share a meal together, and we will be meeting back there in the uh, little living room that we've uh, kind of carved out here in the sanctuary. So uh, we would love for you guys to come out. We'll be uh, going through a, um, a book, sermon series, topic, uh, this uh, really this fall, uh, working through God's design for men and women... How God created you uniquely and individually, and He created men and women for separate roles, separate jobs, separate giftings, and how those work together for the glory of God and His kingdom. How that looks in the church, how that looks in the workplace, how that looks in marriage, how that looks in friendships. And so we're going to work through that. We'll have some, some, some guys and some girls uh, leading the uh, discussion in those studies, and so we'd love to have you guys out. So please plan to be here either tomorrow night at 6.30 or Wednesday night at 6.30. Um, if you're interested in one of those groups but you have some questions um, the Wednesday night group a few of the people that will be leading that group will be over here kind of where these high top tables are and the Monday night group will be over here on this side uh, so if you want to come and connect with somebody put, a, put some faces together with who's going to be leading that group please do that we would love uh, to see you guys out at one of those groups uh, men's prayer tomorrow morning 6.30am we do that every Monday morning uh, get together, eat some bacon, eat some eggs pray for one another Uh, If you need a ride, just go on our website, Uh, there's more information there. Uh, Ultimate Frisbee slash kickball, September 11th, I think both sports are listed there because we haven't decided which one we're actually doing. So uh, quick, let's do a quick poll right now, we're going to settle it right now, go back. Okay, if you want to play Ultimate Frisbee, raise your hand. Okay if you want to play kickball, raise your hand. That was really close, I have no, uh, okay. We're going to do kickball, sounds good to me, right? (laughs) Settled, there we go, right? And the Lord saith thus, right? Okay, so kickball, September 11th at Lanier Field. We'd love to see you guys there. Anything else, Brent, that I'm missing here? So, and then lastly, you guys probably noticed, if you weren't here last week, there's a little white card on your chair when you came in. Uh, One of the things that we think is is really important is, and we talked about this two weeks ago uh, when we were going through Ephesians chapter uh, four, is that um, there's a tendency for us as Americans... To um, kind of miss the big picture of what the church is supposed to be. And so we talked a couple weeks ago about how the church is supposed to be a place where God has uniquely gifted men and women with with different gifts, with different uh, abilities to serve him and serve his kingdom. And so one of the things that we kind of think is one of the deficiencies in just the church in America right now is it's become very consumeristic in the sense that um, you spend your whole week being served by somebody for the most part uh, on campus, being served by professors or Chick-fil-A, waiters and waitresses, whatever you want to call them. Or I see a few people shaking their heads like, my pleasure, right? That's what they're all about, okay? You, you spend your life being served if you go to the library, right? Or, you know, maybe not the DMV, but pretty much any other place, right, on the planet. You spend, you spend your, you know, you spend, you know, a couple hundred hours a, a, a week. I don't even know how many hours are in a week, right? But you spend over hundred hours a week, right, being served by somebody, Right? Having someone try to take care of you, do something for you, or you're in that, an, an industry where you're doing that. And so, so a lot of us roll into church and we think, okay, what is here for me? what is, what is God gonna do for me, and what is the, what are the people of this church gonna do for me, and there is some truth to that, the, 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 the issue is, is there's a missing piece of that, and that's you helping serve other people in this church as well, so we would love for you to get involved somewhere, if you have gifts, abilities, or you want to learn to do something, there's all these different areas where we need help here at the church, so we can continue to disciple people, make much of Jesus, glorify Him and His kingdom, and so we would love for you to sign up for some, something, um, if you want to do something, just fill out the card, you can drop it off on one of the tables in the back, you can drop it off in the little offering uh, boxes that we have there next to communion, and we would love for you to do that. Awesome. So let's get started. Um, Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. Uh, Last week we looked at Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and I kind of explained that what we're going to be doing throughout the fall, at least up here as we're working through God's word together as a church, is, is working through this book right here. This is called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, It's the first thing I bought for my son when Jackie told me she was pregnant um, after I got over the initial shock and and, um, hurtful words that I said to Jackie. Um, So um, if you guys ever want um, tips on how not to react to your wife when she tells you that she's pregnant, come talk to me. I would love to tell you how you can blow it and your wife can still love you afterwards. Um, But... So she came and told me, praying. and one of the first things I did was, I said, well, let's, let's get the Jesus story about Bible. I want, I want my son to have, uh, to have a Bible that's going to point him not to moralistic virtues throughout the Old Testament or a bunch of rules and religion, but is instead going to point him to his Savior and his need for Jesus. And so um, as we were kind of processing through what we would do for the fall, we said, well, why don't we go through that, and we'll, pre- we'll preach on specific um, specific stories in the Bible and making sure that we're taking the spin or the approach to them that points them to Jesus the same way that the Jesus Storybook Bible does and so last week what we started with obviously makes sense is creation we looked at Genesis 1 and 2 and we said, okay, you know, no matter what you're, where you lie in particular on exactly what's going on in Genesis chapter 1, we saw that God is the author and the designer of all of creation and that it found its pinnacle right in the fact that God created men and women in his image and likeness. And that you and I as human beings have a special place, role, and calling on our lives because God uniquely gave us his image and likeness and therefore we're looked after right to by God to to worship him with through creativity through the way that we live our lives through the way that we carry ourselves in relationships the way that we lead and build and and create that God looks to us and he says worshiping me is not just showing up at some sort of church service or singing songs or even just reading the Bible but the way that we we live our lives matters because our lives reflect the image of God like a mirror. That That is what you and I were designed to be from the get-go. And so that creation at its core was created to show off the glory of God. Think about if you've ever been to the top of a mountain peak and looked out, I, I love asking this question because even right when I when I think of is God really out there? Does He really exist? If you start talking about the beauty of creation, and looking out over all that God has done, like that picture right there, right, you'll be you'll just be mesmerized by the fact that all of this works intricately together, right, to survive right, and be as beautiful as it is. And so that God designed the world as we know it to display His glory, but also for us to enjoy Him. For us to be able to enjoy creation because God had made it that we might be able to worship Him, love Him, experience peace, harmony, and true joy. And this is a big deal because what Understanding Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 really shapes your entire worldview. And what I mean by that is how you view the world around you is shaped by answering the question, who is God and why am I here? And if God really did create the universe, and if you are really made in His image and likeness, there are some profound truths that come with that, that you are loved Right, That God uniquely cares for you. That God's not some deistic watchmaker who set the universe in motion and then left and doesn't care what's going on here. But that he definitely cares and that you exist for a reason. That you are more than just a political vote. That you're more than just a social security number. That you're more than just numbers to the bottom line of some business. But that God deeply cares for you on a cosmic level who you are and who you are becoming. And so we saw in Genesis chapter 2 that this was the way it was supposed to be. And that God had designed right, the, the Edenic garden right, for Adam and Eve to enjoy and be able to enjoy him. Okay? And so we looked at that and we kind of finished off there last week. And the common question that could come out of that would be, well, well what happened to all that? Right? If, if God's original design and intention was supposed to be shalom, it was supposed to be us in relationship with Him, if it was supposed to be beautiful and happy, right, uh, where we were to beautifully reflect the character and nature of God, why does life not look that way any longer? Why is there war? Why is there racism? Why is there human trafficking and slavery still going on in 2016? Does it seem like the world around us is a world full of peace, harmony, and beauty sometimes? Not, not so much, at least not if you watch the 6 o'clock news, right? It seems like a world that's constantly in chaos and disarray, desperately crying out for help, trying to figure out what is going on. And what we're going to see this morning is that Genesis chapter 3 explains this question. Why is earth so jacked up? Why is my family so jacked up? Why are my friends so jacked up? Why am I so jacked up? Right, what, what went wrong from Genesis 1 and 2 to get to where we are today? And so I, I'm going to say this before we start looking at the verses that Kristen read earlier. A lot of you guys grew up in the church, and so you know this story. And here's the tendency for those of us that grew up in the church, I've heard this over and over again. We're like, oh, I already know this. I'm, you know, like we, every year, you know, Christmas is the same. You, know, you, you go to your Christmas Eve service, and you sing the same songs and you read the same passage and you have your little candle or whatever else your church did, right? And you're having a good time, right? And, so we're, and then you go to grandma's house for you know, presents or whatever else is. But we, we, we have these traditions and we, we, we turn a deaf ear towards these things. Right? And I would ask that you walk into this morning right, with an open mind because I'm going to attempt to right, have us look at what is going on in Genesis chapter 3 and, and maybe a little bit deeper of a way in the sense of what has this actually done cosmically right, to the, to the path of what God has set forward and how does it set up the entire rest of the Bible. Because Genesis chapter 3 literally sets up every single chapter and verse throughout the Bible from here on out, okay? So let's take a look at what's going on here. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, okay? Now, last week, right, we said, perfect, right? God, God created everything, and what did God say over and over again after he created something? Good, right? Hey, this is good. I like this. Good job, me. Right, I did it. Right. It looks fantastic. Light, good, right? Water, good. Bland, good. Humans, good. He looks at all of this and he says it's good, okay? And so then we get to verse one, right? And the moment we get to verse one, we see the serpent show up. Right? And you know, the, Genesis doesn't give us a whole lot of information on what the serpent is or who it is, other than saying, well, he's he's pretty crafty. Okay? And the serpent shows up, and he, and it, and, you know, he walks up to Eve, because apparently at this point he didn't slither, he had feet on him. Right? And he, he goes up to Eve, and he says, you know, did God really say, or did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And he immediately walks up to Eve, and he poses a question to her. So, I, you know, I, don't, I wasn't in the Garden of Eden, so I'm not, I don't know if it was like Dr. Doolittle... Where, you know, like there's only one person that can understand what the animals are saying or whatever else. Or if we were actually able to talk to animals then. But for the purposes of this story, at least at this moment, the serpent could say something. Okay? And so the serpent rolls up to Eve and says, hey, you know, did God really say that you guys can't eat anything in this garden? You know, look, I, you know I'm walking around and I see all these different trees and whatever. and And, you know... Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be kind of strange that God would say that you can't eat here, but he would ask you to live here? Isn't that, isn't that kind of crazy? So he's obviously, one, I mean, he's blowing uh, you know, smoke at Eve, right? He's lying. Because did God say anything like that? No. On top of that, he's already beginning to kind of sow some seeds, right, in Eve and distrusting God and his goodness. Okay? And that's going to be a consistent theme that I want us to notice throughout the passage this morning is the goal of the serpent is not right to you know make adam and eve obey him but is instead to sow distrust of god in the hearts of adam and eve he is that is his sole agenda he's really trying to get adam and eve to ask this question is god really good like i see the i see the garden around me but but is god really good like like is he really actually good, or, or do we just think that he's good because we don't know any better? Right, and so he says, he says you know, did God really say that? And, and you know, we get to verse 2, and Eve responds, you know, she gives a great response. She's like, no, 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 no. that's not how it goes. You know, we can eat anything we want in this garden except, except from that tree in the center of the garden. You know, God said that we can't eat it, and actually He said that we can't even touch it, which by the way is not true, right? Uh, If you could throw up Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, this was God's original uh, command to Adam concerning the, the tree and the fruit from the knowledge of good and evil. He says, and the Lord God commanded the man, that's Adam saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall what? Surely die. That seems like a pretty reasonable request from God, right? Like, hey, you can eat whatever you want. Just please don't eat from that tree because if you do, you're going to die. Seems like a fairly, like, reasonable request from the father of the universe, right, to give to his sons. You know, it's like when I'm with Gideon, right, my four-year-old, it's like, hey, you can play outside, but please do not run out into the street, right, with cars moving. Pretty, Pretty reasonable request. I'm not some evil dad, right, who wants to rob my son of joy. No, actually, I'm trying to preserve his life. Okay? So God's like, hey, just don't eat from that particular tree. You can eat of any other, but you will die if you eat from it. And, you know, Eve has translated this to say, and you probably see the early steps of man-made religion here, right? Saying, hey, if you touch that tree, right, you'll die. Not just eat it, but if you touch it, you'll die. So she's adding rules on top of what God has already given them. All right, so we're good so far, right? Eve's like, no, no, God's, God's good. He, he, he lets us eat whatever we want here except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil okay and, and so so Eve's saying like look God gave gave us this garden to manage and enjoy and, and and I'm ready to listen to him and this is what he said okay so we get to verse 5 4, four and 5 and this is where the, the term really starts being made in the passage okay he says but the serpent said to the woman you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." So the serpent moves from kind of sowing some questions and some distrust of God with Eve to downright lying. It's like, no, you're not, you're, not gonna, you're not gonna die the moment you eat from that tree. What's actually gonna happen is your eyes are gonna be open. now this is where I want us to say okay we've read this before over and over again let's slow down and look at what the serpent is actually saying because there's a deeper meaning behind these words it's not just saying hey you're not gonna die or hey hey you know your eyes will actually be opened here's what's being communicated underneath all of that okay first off right when he says you will not surely die what is he calling God? a liar. Hey God's, God's a liar. God When God told you that you would die if you ate from that tree, he was lying to you because he doesn't love you. He was trying to prevent you from doing something. Hey, you know what happens when you actually eat from that tree? Your eyes are opened. Here's what the serpent is communicating there. He's assuming that they're missing something. Now, when we looked at Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, what did God say of everything after he created it? This is good. This is good. This is how I wanted it. This is how I designed it. And yet the serpent rolls in and says, God didn't do such a good job making you. He did an okay job, but there's something he left out from you guys. You guys think God is this amazing dude. You think he's awesome. You think he's a, this great father and loving guy who cares for you. He can't even, he can't even make you human beings right. Look, he left, he left out all this stuff, but if you eat from that tree, right, you'll be able to finish the job that God started. Right? If you eat from that tree, we'll say like, oh, God, you know, you missed the last step, but okay, we finished it off. Okay, all you have to do, right, is take from that. And not only that, but he's also communicating this. Not only did God not do a good job creating you, but he is intentionally withholding making you better than you could be. He looks at you and says, oh, you're close to being great, but you're not quite there, and I don't want you there because I'm selfish and I'm not interested in it. Right, So we have these two sentences there that don't seem like a lot but what the serpent is really creating in the hearts of Eve and Adam is this malicious view that God is not only not good, but he's not even neutral, he's wicked. That the God of the universe who created them and spoke everything into existence that they've been experiencing up until this point is not good, but actually he's wicked. He's not for them, he's against them. He doesn't love them, he hates them. He's not trying to protect them. He's trying to prevent them from being all that they can be, right? That if the crux of the serpent's temptation is that God is holding out on you and that he doesn't really love you, why is he worthy of your love and obedience? That's what's being communicated to Eve right here. Why why would you want to listen to God? He doesn't really love you. He doesn't really care for you. He doesn't have your best interest at heart, that the power and the fruit, the power of the knowledge of good and evil is something that God is withholding from you. Now think through the implications of this guys, especially in light of what we looked at last week and what we know about just the universe in general from us living on this earth and observing it through scientific processes is we can look out, right, and I love this, right? Even even Greek, right, philosophers and astronomers, right, when they looked out over the universe, what was their term for it? Cosmos. That word in Greek means order. So that when God created the universe and set it in motion, he set it in order, not disorder. That he looked over creation, and when we see things like the seasons and our atmosphere and the way that we have different climates, right, and the way that animals are able to survive, he looked over and he created order so that life could be sustained here. And not only did he create order, but he did it with such a magnificent beauty that not even the greatest artist on our planet could capture it. And Adam and Eve get to experience and see all of this, and yet the serpent sits with Eve and calls all of it into question. Even though Adam and Eve were right there after it all had happened, and then had been walking with God in the Garden of Eden. They know him. It's not like that they have no idea who God is. They've been walking with Him. They know who He is. God breathed life into them. They were there in the presence of God. And yet the serpent is still able to sow distrust in their hearts. The serpent says, hey, hey did God screw up when He was creating the universe? Yeah, I think He did. Hey, did, hey does God really love you, Eve? I don't, I don't think He does. It doesn't, doesn't seem that way to me from, a, from an outside perspective looking in. And behind all of those questions is the lie that we all believe and has been there since Genesis chapter 3. I don't need God. He doesn't really love me. He screwed up in his design. How do I know he really cares? Forget it. I don't need him. Right, when the serpent looks at Eve and says that he knows That if you eat of that tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's saying, you don't need God. If you eat from this tree, you will be God. Why would you need him? All you need, right, is to eat and disobey him. God doesn't care for you. Be your own God. And here is what is being communicated to us thousands of years later after Moses penned this. That sin, at its core, right, disobedience, that whatever you want to call it. If you grew up in the church, you're familiar with the term sin. If you didn't grow up in the church, I'll say this. Why at times you do things and your conscience cl- declares you guilty internally. That at its core, when you and I are wrestling with that feeling, we are wrestling with the, the, the biblical term of sin and at its root... It is this issue. God has made a command and like Adam and Eve, when they were faced with the decision whether to obey God or not, what they're really faced with is the decision whether to believe God or not. Right? So many of us look at like, the commands, say like the Ten Commandments, and we say, God has given us all these rules we just have to obey them. I would, I would argue that obedience isn't really the issue there. Okay? Dogs, dogs are interested in obedience because they get something out of it. Okay, The issue behind the Ten Commandments is, is God really a loving father? And do I believe that he's given me these rules because my life will best operate within these parameters? Am I going to believe and trust God or not? Because the reality is is that any sin that you and I may commit is actually an affront to whether we believe God at his word. Do I really believe that God is good? Right? Because if, if Adam and Eve had experienced God's goodness over and over again at this point, and they've seen creation, they've been created, they've been given dominion, and they have fellowship with God, and yet they choose not to trust Him, they choose not to believe that He has their best interest at heart, they choose to believe that God is not good, this is exactly what you and I are experiencing when we are faced with temptation. Think, think about it from this aspect, Okay? Let's, let's throw a few examples of sin that we might struggle with that, that we can relate back to this concept. Okay, so let's start with lying, okay? If someone says, hey, like, how does this dress look? Okay? He's like, you look great, baby, right? And it looks terrible, right? Right? And what do we say about it? Oh, it's just a little white lie to protect her, okay? And then, and then what happens is, you know, maybe in this particular instance, my wife wears that dress out, and some other woman she works with is like, that is the worst dress I have ever seen. Why, what's going to end up happening to me in that situation? My wife's going to come back and be like, why'd you lie to me? Why'd you lie to me? And so what started out seeming like, okay, it's the right thing to do in this situation. The right thing for me to do here is to lie so that I can protect my wife's heart. Right, so that she doesn't hear that she doesn't look good in it or whatever else. Ends up coming back, right? And so now I'm faced with a dilemma when she comes back to me. It's like, what are you talking about? What do you mean you thought this dress looked good, right? I'm then faced with a dilemma because I lied previously to do what again? Lie. Oh, they don't know what they're talking about, baby. All right, it was the light, right? The light in the room looked strange that day, or, you know. If you ever notice something about a lie, one lie always leads to what? More lying. Because the reality of it is, if you were if you were going to go down that route, right, instead of... Trusting to tell the truth as being the best thing for you in that instance, which is what God would tell us in the Ten Commandments. We choose to not believe him and think that lying is going to be a better option in this case. Okay? Now, that's a fairly simple one. Some of you guys are like, whatever, Kevin, you're really stretching right your illustration there. Let's try this one. Okay. Let's yes use like sexual perversion in some way. Let's 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 use the sin of adultery. Okay. Let's use that as our example. Okay? God has been pretty, pretty clear in his word, right, that, that, that sex was created by him for our enjoyment and for our pleasure, but is supposed to be enjoyed within the confines of marriage. Okay? So if, if that's God's design for that, right, if God says then after that, hey, do not do that outside of that context, it probably means he has some reasons behind it. Okay? And so the common thing, and, and a lot of you guys don't realize this because you weren't alive yet, but many of us, our thinking on sex is actually influenced by our, our parents' right, generation in the 70s through something that was called the sexual revolution. Which, by the way, was, has been shown by popular psychology to have been a failure. Okay? it Actually, the sexual revolution was one of the contributing factors to the AIDS epidemic of the 80s and early 90s. Okay? But, but the, the prevalent thought was, hey, like, you know, we're We're animals. We're all just animals, right? And we should just follow our animal instincts and sleep and do whatever we want. And, and, and then there's no, there's no recourse for it, right? It's just another, you know, mechanistic evolutionary um, behavior that we have. And we can just enjoy it and do whatever we want. There doesn't need to be any commitment or uh, decisions behind it. And yet God's word says, no, that's only supposed to be enjoyed within the confines of marriage. Okay, so let's look at what would happen. And some of you guys have painfully walked through this that if a man and a woman are in a relationship with one another and they are married and one of them chooses to commit adultery in that moment right? the prevalent theme going on in the minds of those people is like hey I'm going to enjoy this, I love this person, I want to do this why would God want to withhold this from me why would God put these desires in me this is going to be great, I'm going to really enjoy it right?" and so they commit adultery and they sleep with one another And what inevitably happens out on the back end of that is destruction of an entire family. I have yet to experience a situation where a husband or wife committed adultery in their marriage and there was not huge relational fallout afterwards. But we look at the situation beforehand and we say, well, this doesn't seem like that big of a deal. It's just, you know, just sleeping with one another. Right, it's not that big of a deal. And yet God says, don't do it, trust me. I know what's good for you. You need to follow my design. Right? And if they followed God's design, their marriage might still be together. Their kids might not hate the mom or the dad. Right? The family would still be getting together and enjoying. Instead of showing up here, right, and then us as a church having to walk through with people with daddy or mommy issues because of that decision. Guys, God doesn't throw out rules Just for the sake of throwing them out so that he might make us mad and upset. He gives us parameters because he created us and he knows what is best for us. Just like he knew that if Adam and Eve ate from that tree, chaos would ensue. Sin is so destructive because it seems enticing of the time, but it actually, in the end, robs us of joy. Not only does sin question God's goodness and his very character, but it lies to you and I about what is best for us. One of my favorite pastors to listen to in the world is Matt Chandler out of the Village Church in Texas. And he has this line that has stuck with me for about 10 years. He says, no one robs you of more joy and happiness than yourself. Think about that for a second. That there is not a single person on this planet, and I don't care what your family background was, no one robs you of more joy than yourself. Because you are the ones that make the decision on whether to follow after God or not and believe him. The same way that I do, the same way that I, when I am faced with a decision to trust God or not, if I choose not to, I rob myself of the joy of knowing what would have happened if I had listened to the Lord. That sin at its core, although we believe it's actually going to bring us happiness, robs us of the joy and peace that God originally designed for all of us to be in in the first place. And when we sit here and talk about it, that's the crazy thing. Like, when I'm sitting here talking about this, I can see your all's facial reactions. You're like, yeah, this makes sense. I mean, you know, I, like, God, uh, duh, God created the universe. It makes sense that he probably knows what's right. And yet you and I, right, will leave this room today and what? Sin. We know the truth. We know who God is, the same way that Adam and Eve did. We know the truth. God... God is a God who loves. We wouldn't even exist without Him. God, God gave us a perfect right, environment to live in. Uh, is he really good? That we wrestle with that over and over again, and yet we'll still do what Adam and Eve did, right? Make that tragic decision, right, to choose not to trust him. Right? It says that Adam and Eve ate from the tree, right, in verses six through eight. That they ate from the tree. It says that Eve saw it, desired it, and ate it. Sounds an awful lot like any sin I've ever committed. I see it, I desire it, and I follow through on it. So so she she saw it, she desired it, she ate of it. And everything in that moment for the entire course of human history changed. Everything. If you want to know why there's war, look back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. If you want to know why your family's a wreck, look back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. If you want to know why you and your friends can't seem to get along, look back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. If you want to know why everything seems so jacked up, look back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. That was it. That was the moment where it went from perfect harmony and peace with God to not being so any longer. Because it says there that the moment she ate from it, let me read it to you. Then the eyes of both were opened, and what? They knew that they were naked. Let me translate that for you. The fact that they knew they were naked means that the concept and idea of shame immediately entered into the human psyche. In, in, like, what's, what's great about having kids right, is that your kids trust you so much. And one of the saddest things about, about having kids is when you break that trust with them. That, that you don't see that trust with them any longer. And the moment that Adam and Eve did this, their trust with God was shattered forever. And not on God's end, but on their end. Right? It all started with the question, does God really love me and do I really trust him? And the moment they ate of the fruit, right, they looked at each other and they're like, oh my gosh, we're naked. And I'm not, you know, maybe you need to work out. Right? That's Eve to Adam, by the way. Right? Guys, never say that <laughs> to a woman. Adam, you, Adam, like, you need to cover up, bro. And, 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 of course, Adam probably actually didn't ask Eve to cover up, but she wanted to. Right? She's like, you need to cover up. right? This, and they're embarrassed by what's going on. And they had spent all this time beforehand not worried about any of this. Because they were confident in who they were and who God had created them to be. And the moment they didn't trust God anymore is the moment they didn't know who they were anymore. And it was the moment they didn't understand who they were created to be any longer. And it was the moment that they began doubting whether everything was okay. And so they see that they're naked. And they begin to hide themselves. They hide out. It's like, hey, let's, let's, let's cover up. Let's cover up our nakedness. I'm, ash- I'm ashamed of this. Cover, let's, we need to cover it up. Right, let's get some loincloths, right? And let's, let's hide who we are. Because the shame amongst them allowed them not to want to be exposed to one another anymore. Guys, this is why marriage is so difficult. Right? Men and women were supposed to get along just fine with each other. And the moment that sin entered the equation, they stopped trusting and believing in one another. They stopped trusting in God's design. They stopped believing that one another could be there for one another and build one another up. And instead, they started hiding things, they started being shameful of things, and everything went crazy. And they aren't just ashamed to be around one another, which is one thing, but they're ashamed to be with God as well. If you continue to read there, Right? When they were wrestling with the question, does God really love me? The moment they ate the fruit, that question actually didn't get answered. It became even more difficult for them to answer. She went from saying, hey, hey God's withholding this from me. Does he really love me To, I ate of this. Does God really love me? It didn't solve the problem. It perpetuated it. It didn't make it not an issue anymore. It made it a bigger issue. Right, And instead of going to God like a dad, like they would have in the past, they run and hide. They run and conceal themselves from God and His presence. They went from being afraid God didn't love them because He wouldn't let them eat from the tree, to being afraid that God didn't love them because of their disobedience. And meanwhile, in the midst of all of this... God kind of at the, in the in the the narrative at this point is is playing on the sidelines, watching all of this destruction go on, and allowing it to happen, allowing Eve and Adam to choose something other than Him. And 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 when you get to verse nine, this is where. I I believe that we see for sure <laughs> that God is for you and I. Even in the midst of the chaos of what is going on in Genesis chapter 3. Right, God shows up. And by the way, guys, I know we read this and God says, you know, where are you? Really? <laughs> yeah, Adam, good hiding spot, bro, you know. It's like when I play hide-and-seek with my kid, and he's like, you know, we have like a, um, a, a bookshelf along the wall, and he's like over in the corner, like this beside it. And you walk out, and you like see his foot sticking out like this. Or even better, right, this morning, uh, my, my sister makes these banana chocolate chip peanut butter cookies, which, by the way, are a little taste of heaven one day. And I like to eat them whenever, and I've convinced my kid that they're vitamins, and I can eat as many as I want. And Kristen, my sister, has convinced Gideon that um, I'm actually the cookie monster, and I'm not allowed to have them. Right? Now, please bear with this illustration for a second, because I'm going to kind of compare myself to God, and that's not really great. Right? But I know how to use my kid, right? I, know, I didn't know where those cookies were, right? but I walked into the room, and I'm like, I'm going to go find cookies. Knowing that he had hid them, guess what he did? He ran to the, to the place he had hid them, and was like, No! Right? It's like, know where they are now. <laughs> they are in that cabinet right there beside the sink. Thanks, buddy. You gave it away. Right? And then later on, my sister tried to tell Gideon to pretend to, to run somewhere else, which I also sniffed out because my sister's not a good liar either. And I was like, I'm going to go find those cookies. And he ran to the wrong spot. And I saw Kristen going, I'm like, so you told him to run to a different spot. And she's like, how did you know? I'm like, same way God knew when he walked into the garden, Right? He knows us, right? the same way I know my sister and my kid. Right? He, he knew Adam. Adam, I know you're hiding behind that tree over there. Can you just come out, please? Right. And so, you know, he's hiding. He's afraid, right? And, and, and imagine, just like, think about this for a second, guys, and we'll bring it to a serious moment here. Imagine, imagine the emotional chaos that is occurring in the garden right now. You have God the Father coming to his kids that just disobeyed him, right, and basically said, I don't love you, I don't want you anymore. You have Adam freaking out like, Dad's mad at me, I need to hide from him. Right? And what is the father still doing? Going after his son. He knows everything that's going on. He knows what's happened. And he rolls into the garden, and he says, you know, Adam, where are you? And, And Adam... I mean, Adam is truthful. You know, he's like, I was afraid of you, Dad. I'm hiding. I was afraid. Now, has Adam ever been afraid of his dad before this? No. he He loved God. He loved his dad. He loved where he was at. He loved Eden. He loved being in dominion and power, being able to rule his father's kingdom. And he says, I was afraid of you, Dad. And God's like, you ate the fruit, didn't you? Really? I told you you would die. Did you think I was trying to keep that from you because I didn't care for you? Like, come on. Like, what did I have to do to show you that I'm for you? I created you. You wouldn't even be here if it weren't for me. Really? And then the real colors show of sin. This is where it really starts spiraling out of control. Right, because God is, you know, notice how God doesn't lose his temper. You know, he's not like, you know, the, the Roman gods who are like,
0: lightning!
1: You know, hey, I'm going to create this huge typhoon to wipe out this entire civilization right now. And he's like, really? What's going on here? Why did you do this? And guys, this is where, this is what I was talking about earlier, that sin always leads to more sin. Because God goes, did you really do this? A simple answer would have sufficed here. Yes, I did it. Clearly, I'm wearing a crappy loincloth right now, and I just hid from you. Instead, what does Adam do? Blame shift. Right? I've heard some of you guys do this in the past, right? This is popular. It's Eve's fault. Right? If Eve just hadn't of that. Well, first of all, let's stop here. In Genesis chapter 2, 16 and 17, when we read that passage earlier, is Eve there yet? No. So who was the command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil given to? Adam. So who didn't do their job leading properly? Adam. So dude, shut up. Okay? And ladies, just so your ego doesn't get too big, you clearly had a role in the problem as well. Okay? Like I told y'all. Adam had just done what he was supposed to do. We'd be fine hanging out in the garden of Eden right now. No, both sides had a role to play in this issue, okay? Right? And so, but Adam, right, he says, Adam, what were you doing? Why? Eve. It was her fault. But not only does he blame Eve, look at what he says. The man said, the woman whom, what? You gave to be with me. She gave me the the fruit of the tree and I ate it. So who else is Adam blaming for his disobedience? God. Now, do you see how insane that is? The distrust of God just continues to spiral out of control. Right? When God created Eve, what did he say in Genesis chapter 2? It's not good for what? Man to be alone. I love love my son, right? Guys like, I love my son. He needs he needs a woman. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make him Eve. I love him. I take care. And then Adam looks back on the situation. He's like, "Look, God, see if you hadn't made her, it'd still be good." Which is not true at all because that's in direct contradiction to what God said. And Adam looks at God and says, "Look, this is your fault, and this is Eve's fault. It's not my fault. I just chewed." You don't see God trying to reason with him. It's like, okay, it's like so. We turn. He turns to Eve. It's like, well, I mean, what do you have to say for yourself? And what does she do? Well, it was a serpent. You know, he, he showed up and he, he convinced me. Right? And he turns to the serpent, and the, the, the serpent's apparently silent. No one owns up to anything here. And all that we see is the spiraling of sin continue over and over and over again. The distrust of God continues over and over again. The peace and harmony and joy of Eden is destroyed. Guys, this is where it all went wrong. This is why the world is fractured the way that it is. This is why families struggle to stay together. This is why countries and cultures war with one another. This is why. Because of the disbelief in God and his goodness. God curses the serpent. We'll look at that here in just a second. He curses the woman, right? I've seen my wife give birth to two children now. I'm going to imagine that if we asked her her opinion right now, you would prefer it have been more like it was supposed to be, right? Yes. Hard process, Which, by the way, you ladies are troopers. I don't understand how anyone ever has more than one. Because I'm, like, about to pass out in that room. And my wife delivers a baby and then immediately, like, begins to care for it. And I'm like, can I take a nap? It was awful. And then you don't sleep for six months to a year because the baby's crazy. Right? And then my wife's like, let's do that again. I'm like, what? And you're going to carry it. By the way, I love my kids, okay? So like, pastor hates his kids, you know? Like, my kids are amazing. They've taught me so much. And yet, it's hard. It is difficult. Which makes sense because God said it would be after everything that happened. Then he looks to Adam and he finishes with Eve and he says, look, and here's the deal. Your relationship with your husband, it is going to suck now. You guys are going to have to figure it out, but it is not going to be the same. Right? He's going to rule over you, and you're going to hate it. And then we looked, he turns to Adam. He's like, look, I gave you a job to work the land and to, to, to run all this. Guess what? Not going to work in your favor anymore. Good luck. You're going you're gonna to toil. And it's going to be hard, right? And some of you guys, uh, this is why I love like, the way our church is set up because there's so many young people in here. And so we have people that are just getting into college. We have people that are getting ready to graduate. We have people that have just graduated. And I love the people that have just graduated. After about like, they're really excited for like the first three months. Man, I love my job. I'm getting paid now. I don't have to go to class anymore. And after like three months, they're like, this is so hard. I want to go get my master's. Right? <laughs> <clears throat> because... Right, work is hard now guys, right, it's, di- it's difficult, it's supposed to be hard, right. Work is not supposed to be like the place you're hanging out playing video games, right. It's not supposed to be the place where you're just kicking around, having a good time on the playground with your friends, right. God looked at Adam and was like, hey I designed this for you to run and it's going to be hard now. And you're going to toil and you may feel like you're not doing anything, toil anyway. That's what you've signed up for now, not trusting me and not believing in me. And then he also looks at him and says, and because of you, death has entered the world now. Not this very second, but it's entered. It's here now, and it's here to stay. You're going to die. Your kids are going to die. Your children's children are going to die. Your children's 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 children, so on after that. They're going to die. And you'll never have that relationship with me that you've had here. You have to leave the garden. Creation is in chaos now at this point. It's gone from order and shalom and peace and harmony to being destroyed. I'm going to read to you what my kid hears when he hears this story. Okay? About the consequences of everything that happened in Genesis chapter 3 says this, you see, sin had come into God's perfect world, and it would never leave. God's children would always be running away from him and hiding in the dark. Their hearts would break now and never work properly again. God couldn't let his children live forever, not in such pain and not without him. If you read part of Genesis chapter 3, when God sends Adam and Eve out of the garden, I've had people tell me, like, that was really wicked of God to do that. Actually, no, it was really merciful. I don't know about you guys, but living in the world the way that it is right now, I'm not really interested in living forever here. Just not. Cancer? I am not want to live forever with cancer inside of me. Right? People that can't get along with one another and are constantly fighting, not really interested in being a part of that for eternity. Just not. Doesn't sound like heaven to me. Right? There was only one way to protect them. You will have to leave the garden now, God told his children, his eyes filling with tears. This is no longer your true home. It's not the place for you anymore. Says, but before they left the garden, God made clothes for his children to cover them, and he gently clothed them, and then he sent them away on a long, long journey out of the garden and out of their home. Anybody want that Valentine's Day card right there, by the way, right? You have this beautiful picture of the universe in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and then it is destroyed in Genesis chapter 3. Charles Spurgeon says that as the salt flavors every drop of the Atlantic Ocean, so does sin affect every atom of our nature It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. That since this moment, sin has tainted and marred everything in creation. Genesis chapter 3 is incredibly depressing unless you also look at God's love and mercy on display in Genesis chapter 3. As Adam and Eve are experiencing extreme shame and guilt, and after God lays out the consequences of their actions to them because they do matter, what does he do? He clothes them. And then he sends them out of the disruption and says, You can't live forever. I have to protect you from this. But then he does something else that often goes overlooked. He makes the first declaration of the gospel when he's talking to the serpent. Look at verse 15 with me. This is where we're going to end today. Sin has fractured God's design and yet his mercy is on display immediately. Right? This is what theologians call the, the pro evangelium, which is the very first declaration of what God is going to do to fix everything that Adam and Eve have screwed up. Look at what he says. He's talking to the serpent. By the way, has anybody figured out who the serpent is yet? Satan, okay? Right? The serpent is Satan, God's arch enemy. Okay? Read more about him in, 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 in the Old Testament. But many of us miss the promise God makes here. Now I love this because he's talking to the serpent, but there are huge implications for everyone here. Look at what he says. He says, I will put enmity, enmity, Between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And then look at this last line. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Let me translate that for you out of the Hebrew, because oftentimes it'll say this, he will crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And it is coming out of the offspring of the woman. And what God is promising in this very moment is one day, through the line of Eve, from Eve, is there any mention of Adam there? From Eve, there will be somebody. And you will bruise him, he will experience pain, he will experience torment, he will struggle. He will experience strife. He will be bruised and afflicted. And yet, what will that person do? He will crush you and defeat you. Right? The the same thing we see in Hebrews chapter 2. Right? Throw that up there for me, Brent. Right? This is the author of Hebrews stating after the fact. Right? Since therefore the children... Share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's Jesus, likewise, partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil. Guys, this is the first promise of Jesus. That God surveys everything and says, Adam and Eve, you screwed up everything. I will send someone to fix it. That the sin and pain and death that you have, will experience from here on out will be taken care of by this person. And that's exactly what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Jesus came. right? He, he didn't just come to be some sort of political martyr or some good guy. But he was God's son in the flesh. And as you guys know, some of you who were here, right? we just got through studying the book of Matthew... He suffered greatly. He was betrayed by his own friends. He was hung on a cross for crimes he did not commit. And for sins that he did not commit. And as he hung from the cross, right... His last words were, it is finished, and what he was declaring is that all of your sin and my sin, past, present, and future, has been paid for and satisfied that God's wrath is no longer turned towards us, but was turned towards his son in that moment on the cross. And that through that, the power that Satan had over you and I to not trust God and disobey was forever blotted out and taken care of because of the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ and that he was buried, and three days later he rose from the grave victorious because Satan and death could not hold him. And the first promise of that is right here in Genesis chapter 3. The first promise of how God is going to restore everything that is in chaos is right there in Genesis chapter 3. It's been there from the beginning. God looks at his creation and says, you know what? You guys screwed this up. You have destroyed everything that I've set in motion. And yet I love you because I made you. I'm going to fix it. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says that in Christ, God is reconciling all. All things to himself. Being that everything that is going on right now in the timeline of human history is happening for a purpose because Christ is reconciling those things to God the Father. That all of this is important and has a purpose. That what Eve and Adam meant for evil... God will turn to beauty because that is what God is in the business of. We're going to take communion here in just a moment, okay? Right, and when we take communion, what we're doing is, is if you are a Christian, what you are saying is I am identifying that the only way to see the mess of what we're talking about in Genesis chapter 3 corrected is by identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's it. There is no other way that God has made the way, I'm going to trust him and believe him that Jesus is that way. Right? Where Adam and Eve distrusted, I'm gonna trust and believe upon the Lord for what Jesus did. And so when we take communion, the, the, the bread represents the body of Christ being poured out for you. The, the grape juice represents the blood of Christ being spilled for you. And what we're doing is we're saying, I believe in what you did, Jesus. Thank you. And I love you. Right, Paul gives us some some parameters. He says, hey, when you take communion, take it with a clear conscience. Repent of sin beforehand. Right, if you need to reconcile with somebody and forgive somebody, go do that. And then freely take of communion and remember what God has done. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, first of all, thank you for being here. We love you, right? But more importantly, God loves you. And you're not here by accident. I would ask that you not take communion this morning. And the reason that I ask you not to is because God's God's word says that if you're not identifying with what is happening there, it has no meaning for you. It's just some bread and some grape juice. You can do that any time. But that when you as a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ take communion, something unique and special happens. So that I would ask you instead, if a friend brought you, Talk to your friend about God. Why why is Jesus so great? Why do they follow him? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does that look like? If you didn't come with a friend, if you randomly somehow got here on your own, come talk to me. I'll be walking around here. Talk to one of the people in the band. Grab somebody. We as a church love one another, and we want to love you as well because God has asked us to do that. And talk to somebody because God is for you. He's been for you from the beginning. And though Adam and Eve did not believe, and because of their disbelief, you disbelieve, God is for you. Let's take communion. Let's not look at Genesis chapter 3 and be sad or sorrowful, but let's stead and rejoice in the fact that God has redeemed us out of that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for everyone that is here this morning. God, if we pause to think and reflect for a moment here. You have uniquely created and designed every single person in this room. Their gifts, their flaws, their hopes and fears, you care about it all. You love them the way you love Adam and Eve. those of us that are parents, we know that you love us the way you love, the way that we love our children. Father, may we know that. Father, may we look to your word the way we did this morning to know why things are the way they are, but also, more importantly, to look and see what you have done for us. And may we not sit moping, sad, upset, but we may stand in victory declaring that the name above all names Jesus Christ has bought, paid for, and redeemed us with his blood. And may we shout from the rooftops the beauty of your name, because Jesus, there is no other name on this earth to be praised more highly than yours. Thank you for this time, Lord. We love you, and I ask this all in your son's name.